What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. HudsonRiverRadio.com There in podcast land and beyond, uh, Maxine Margaret Rubin, along with my co-host Malcolm Berman, and this is the Many Shades of Green, a program that adds a dash of green into your life as we engage in conversations that move to inform, educate, activate, and raise your eco-consciousness. Through culture, politics, music, art, journalism, science, and community, we hope to inspire you to pick a shade of green and become a steward of this beautiful blue-green planet we call Earth. So hi, Adam. Welcome. And hi, Neil, back there in Studio N. And welcome, everyone, to the Many Shades of Green. So I'm going to do a quote, uh, which comes from the Knight Foundation and Gallup, um, American Views 2022, part one, it was in there. And the quote says... The health of a democracy depends in no small part on the vitality of an independent press. Studies across the world continue to demonstrate that access to a robust new system, free from institutional censorship or influence, plays an essential role in an effective democracy. So according to the American Journalism Project, local news bridges, divides, and communities, showcases opportunities for community connection, highlights community perspective, and sheds light on how policy issues affect readers and their neighbors. Uh, most local issues require the thoroughness, understanding, and diligence that only local on-the-ground reporters are equipped to provide. The national media is astoundingly out of touch with Americans, it seems so much, with a one in five newsroom employees based in New York, Los Angeles, or Washington, D.C. But local news is an essential check on local government and helps improve communities. A robust press is vital to a healthy democracy, and newsrooms need resources to create reliable news that is accessible and free from influence. We need to know who is holding local elected officials accountable, who is reporting from the state legislators and other public meetings, town councils, court proceedings, school boards. It's vital that this information on a local level where local reporters are. So local news publications provide this information and it is a civic function in informing the public, which is why it's so important to have these papers uh, in towns throughout 
the U.S. and anywhere else. So my guest today is Adam Stone, publisher of The Examiner. It's a local print newspaper uh, covering Westchester County and beyond, actually. Adam's article about how the failure of New York State in operating certain disability programs, which had a disastrous effect on local disabled individuals, was highlighted by the New York Times on its list of outstanding local journalism. Uh, and it's a prime example of local journalism at its best. Uh, Adam also has a column called Stone's Throw, where he focuses on local issues involving health, environment, and much more. So Adam, it's such a pleasure to have you. Welcome to the Many Shades of Green. Thank you so um, much for having me, Maxine. It's a pleasure. It, Appreciate it's, it. It's, it's a pleasure to have have you on and to talk about this. It's so vital that, you know, this, this topic is covered. So uh, what is your shade of green today? Which is, let's see, pick that out of the air. <laughs> yeah, my shade of green, you know, forest green first jumped to mind, but actually the very next thought was baseball. You know, as a lifelong baseball fan, I remember going to Shea Stadium for that first time as a kid and seeing the green grass and that really sticking with me. And oh, there we go. <laughs> Uh, I'm a Mets fan. There it is. <laughs> uh, my whole family, uh, although my husband. Uh, well, I should Bronx. say my regrets. I apologize. Uh, yeah, I know. I My apologies. Anything with ETS at the end, the New York Jets, Mets. That's right. Mets. Right. Well, yeah. It's, it's yeah. I, a... I didn't, I wasn't faced with the same curse. I'm a Giants fan, so I'm not also a Jets no. fan like many no. fellow Long Islanders. But right. yeah, it's been a tough, tough life. But I say it builds character, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, now we, yeah, we have a Super Bowl coming up soon. So in uh, Kansas City, here we come again. <laughs> That's right. We have that connection with Holmes. Uh, his dad was a right. Believer, so that's why I like I like him in general. You know, I like him, but the connection that his dad was a pitcher for the Mets makes the Mets fans go, okay. You know, we gotta like put. You know, he's he's fantastic. It's and then of course you got the the. Uh, Kelsey and the Taylor factor going. There's a lot of stuff in a this. Lot Super Bowl. A, a lot of plot lines. There's a there's a lot yep. of plot lines. Uh, I mean, is the Super Bowl hit a, a a political you know edge to it now because of what's going on? It's just again, you don't know. <laughs> it's <laughs> really just... crazy to think how much controversy the two second flashing to Taylor Swift after a touchdown catch has created. Mm -hmm. It's really insane. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of insane things. So, uh, but anyway, let, let's try to get on this topic of, of local news, but I want to ask you what, what was your aha moment in, in starting the examiner and becoming a journalist? What was the road you took? Well, yeah, those are two different answers for me okay. as far as the aha moment for starting the examiner, if I were to try to identify one moment in time, it, I was a, in 2007, I was a freelance reporter. I had been doing uh, it, my background before that was in smaller newspapers, but as a freelancer, I started getting bylines in the New York Times, Daily News, some bigger publications. Um, but my background was with smaller community news. And around that time, um, my friend, the former editor of the Bedford Record Review in Northern Westchester, R.J. Marks, gave me an assignment uh, to cover a zoning board of appeals meeting, uh, which mm -hmm. sounds 
you know, uh, soul crushingly boring, but um, <laughs> me getting back into that community journalism, I remember that night going to that meeting and talking to local officials and realizing that in my time as a freelance writer, that's what I had been missing, my roots <laughs> as a community journalist. Um, and I sort of came away from that experience thinking I got to find out, figure out a way to get back into community journalism, which is where I had spent the first half dozen years of my career. And from there, uh, that was the summer of 2007. I remember that evening I grabbed this yellow legal pad and started writing down all the things I need to do in the coming weeks to start my own newspaper. Um, uh, I live in Mount Kisco, lived in Mount Kisco at the time as well. And the Gannett, the big uh, newspaper operator, had recently shut down the right. patent trader, the former mm -hmm. newspaper in town. My wife and her family have deep roots in Pleasantville, which was another patent trader community. Uh, so, you know, around this time, earlier that year, I had left the North County News and now defunct Yorktown Weekly. So a lot of my friends in local journalism were either unemployed or underemployed. And you sort of put that all together. And I saw a marketplace opportunity for a newspaper. Uh, so as I mentioned, I started writing down in this legal, le yellow legal pad, like a long to-do list of what I'd need to do to actually start this newspaper. And, you know, when I got done writing it all down, I sort of said to myself, I don't know if this is going to be a success, but I know if I methodically follow these steps, I'll have a first edition of a newspaper. You know, whether it goes up in smoke after a week or two was another open question. Um, but I followed that list and within seven, eight weeks uh, was the launch of the examiner at September 11 of 2007. So that, that sort of takes you to my aha moment for, for starting the examiner. If you want to talk about my original entry into journalism, we could talk about that as well, if you'd like. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that, you know, local journalism, that's where you felt the most comfortable community right. journalism. And, you know, it, you can say, easily say that that local news reporting is crucial to the functioning of democracy at this point because look where we are and and it's it, very important to report on those issues because again the mainstream media is is out of touch many times unless there's an area you know hit by extreme weather hurricanes blah blah, blah and then they'll go into an area and say oh you know newcastle was flooded uh bloody you know and, and but other than that, what's nitty gritty in the communities doesn't really get out there. And, you know, what I see is social media taking over, you know, people get news from, you know, digital. How do you see all of this, you know, converging and and where do you see, you know, the examiner falling out in a way in this? I mean, are you getting people who say, hey, we, you know, your publication is is terrific. Are you getting people who say, you know, come into the 21st century and just, you know, do something else? So, you know, what's your oh, take people on People are incredibly appreciative, incredibly so, for the role we play. Um, but we are so small, and that's a byproduct of the economics of the industry. 
Um, and our role, our responsibility is bigger than we're able to fill. You know, even as recently as the 90s and the early 2000s, the economics allowed, you know, most communities to have reporters covering most town and school board meetings. Now, given our limitations, we, you know, we do as best as we can with the limited resources we have. And the thing to keep in mind there is that we're a relative success story and we're a fraction of the size that we should be in a more ideal world if our industry wasn't so broken. So just our existence is sort of a success story, but uh, what we are, our responsibility is just bigger than the size of our staff is. Right. Yeah, because of the economics. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was looking through certain things in this this uh, person, Stephen Waldman. Do you know who he is? Oh, yes. I, I know Steve. Mm -hmm. He, he yep. runs Rebuild Local News. Yep. And he wrote, it took a generation for the American news industry to unravel. And it will take a generation to fully rebuild it. I mean, and, and so... Yeah, and you're you're in that rebuilding of this local, you know, news. So what what's your thoughts kind of on that quote and what what he's trying yeah, to Yeah, well, to Steve's I'm a member of that group, the Rebuild Local News group that Steve runs, and what that speaks to and what Steve adopted after a lot of research and I agree with is that we need public policy solutions to this problem that is impacting communities across the United States because there's like a marketplace failure uh, in a lot of fundamental unfairness in the marketplace. And, you know, that goes into Google and Facebook and a whole bunch of issues and now artificial intelligence and a lot of fundamental issues that make it uh, make make it fundamentally uh, almost impossible to to really compete uh, in a serious way. And, um, you know, like there's a, a variety of public policy solutions floating out there, both on the federal and the state level. Um, and um, Rebuild Local News, Steve's group is involved with that. There's the Local Journalism Sustainability Act, and there's an emerging effort even among publishers in New York State to more aggressively uh, lobby state lawmakers to uh, adopt that bill. It would give tax credits to newspapers for keeping and adding journalists to our, our staffs. And, um, you know, there's different policies out there, but I think, you know, many years ago, I think I would have been against something like that because, like, there is the real concern, ethical concern with any public policy, because our role as the fourth estate is to cover government and not be intermingled with it. Um, but I think some of the way these policies are written, it, it addresses those concerns. And the problems are so vast and so great that it's almost like it's the only way to address a crisis, you know, like to use the analogy of, you know, a collapsing auto industry or banking industry where there's just um, a marketplace failure and something needs to be done. There's literally thousands of newspapers that have went out of business the last mm -hmm. 20 years. Yep. Uh, the ones that have survived are shells of their former 
ourselves, the, the newcomers come and go as well. And it's not just about print. We're very much in the digital space. Yes, we have roots as a print newspaper. If the solution was obvious of, okay, there's these fundamental problems with print in a digital era, so just go all in on digital, that'll solve the problem. That's just not, has not been the case. Okay. Adam, we're, we're talking about public policy, which is important aspect because you have to, you know, know to deal with, especially when you're dealing with government entities and you report on that, you record, report on local things, uh, you know, things that happen in our town, things that happen with town boards and how the town supervisors and mayors deal with different problems. And, you know, how do you get through, I mean, what do you do? What is your, you know, in terms of reporters pitching stuff or you asking for stuff? How do these these stories get covered? Yeah, so our founding editor-in-chief, Martin Wilbur, who was actually my assistant editor when I was at the North County News in New York down, uh, veteran journalist, been in the business for decades, and he's been our longtime captain of our editorial uh, ship. And everything is sort of funneled through him. He, as a super small news organization, he also does a lot of our reporting. Um, but he's also the one to work with our uh, small staff, our interns, freelancers. Um, and a lot of it involves attending town board meetings, village board meetings, board of education meetings. But we're also constantly being pitched ideas by you know PR people. And then, yes, journalists come to us pitching ideas as well, or, or we'll have you know concept issue type pieces. Uh, so it's a collaborative, creative process. We do have a story meeting once a week. It's mm -hmm. just myself and our two editors, Martin and our deputy editor, Rick Pizzullo. And we just sort of talk big picture on Tuesday mornings about the week ahead and sort of proceed from there. We print every Tuesday and the nature of digital publishing, we're sort of a daily paper online to a certain extent. Although, right. Where do people, where can people get that? But before we have to take a break, where do people go to get the digital part? Because yeah. I, I was in a, I love it because I love a paper. I'm showing a paper. You can't see it, but I picked this up today at a local store, Taza in, in Millwood. And you get your coffee and you, and you look through a paper. I love that. I love the feel of the paper. I love the look of the paper. I guess I'm kind of old school, like okay boomer kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, but I see other people looking through it, and I know people still like the tactile feel of a newspaper. You know, That's so right. yeah, a hundred percent. And um, the the economics, both in print and digital, are complicated. But yes, there's zero doubt that there's. A significant audience for the print product and you know i'll never forget that first week in september of 2007 are you know just sort of the generational aspect of it um and you know the common refrain which isn't untrue that you know about the generational interest or lack thereof in print but i remember being at pleasantville pizza that first week <laughs> right after we distributed our first copies and just this horde of Pleasantville teenagers surrounding the newspaper because of the sports section. And like, right. there is something special and different about seeing you and your friends' names and pictures 
in print. Um, you know, it's not to discount, you know, where things have went at all uh, with the nature of publishing, but it's two things could be true at the same time. Yeah. And the print product resonates with a lot of our readers. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's fun to see your name in especially you know, high school, middle school kids. Uh, they have the sports coverage, which is it's fabulous because it brings the community together thing. You know, it's not, you know, brimstone and fire all the time. You see these kids having a good time and they, you know, they're. You that's know, right. Yeah. Athlete, the, athlete of the week, the day, whatever. It, it's pretty cool. Well, so. that's the other element of community newspaper publishing is that, yes, we have the accountability role and we do our very best to play that watchdog role, but it's also about forging community. Like it's mm -hmm. not, you know, that's a part of what a community newspaper traditionally right. does. And right. you know, yes, that could be local government and local politics, but it could also just be, you know, a photo of the pancake breakfast or the right. fire parade. And right. that, that creates a certain glue in a community. Yeah. So Anyhow, we're at the break point, so uh, we'll be back more with Adam Stone, publisher of The Examiner, with more info on a state of local news and civic responsibility of that news, uh, and we'll hopefully touch on a couple of stories, and we'll be back, so please stay tuned. HudsonRiverRadio.com Check out the Angel Quest show with psychic medium and author Karen Noe. Karen covers spiritual topics such as near-death experiences, reincarnation, life after death, how your thoughts create your reality, creating peace on earth, and so much more. Check out The Angel Quest Show on Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com, your local Rockland County station. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com. And we are back with Adam Stone, who uh, is the publisher of The Examiner here in where, where I am in, in Westchester County, uh, to talk more about uh, local news. And, you know, could touch his paper touches on a lot of different things. Uh, they do environmental reporting. They do government reporting. Uh, they have, as we said, the kids, you know, sports pages, which is great. I love it. I follow it, even though I don't have a kid in school anymore. Uh, so anyhow, it's great to have him here. And also just please, uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at team shades of green and, uh, and listen to the podcast on all major outlets, Apple, Amazon, iHeart, Spotify, and more. So anyway, back, back into the groove here, uh, Adam, about the local news and, 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 and stories. And I was asking, you know, I mean, you've done something called stone's throw which hits on on different topics and areas how did you start i mean why did you start stone's throw yeah so so when i first started the examiner as i mentioned i came from a background as a reporter but when i started the company as a business owner publisher i realized i needed to focus on the operations the day-to-day business operations so I was really vigilant about that for a long time. And um, it wasn't till really the pandemic that I started to write for the paper. But even then, I wasn't really doing much reporting. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened during the pandemic, which was a crisis moment for us as a business, was more writing in terms of sharing our story and our need for support and help among the readership. And, but what it did was drew me closer into a a closer relationship with our readership and reminded me how much I missed writing. Um, And then in late 2022, there were a couple so that was sort of happening in the background. And then in late 2022, there were a couple story ideas I had. And then it sort of ultimately hit me that I'd gotten to the place where we had strong systems in place uh, with our day-to-day operations. And I wouldn't be doing a disservice to the company, to my employees by focusing a decent amount of energy each week to being one of our journalists, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a few different things happened, but um, one was a a story that I wrote early in Stone's Throws history, which is a little over a year now, of writing and reporting on patient complaints about 
Caremount Optum, our local mm. healthcare group. Oh boy. And that reporting really resonated and resonates to this day. It's now a 12 part ongoing series with our audience. And it, it, you know, it reminded me how much I missed investigative reporting, which is how I got my start in what originally drew me to the field to begin with. Um, but the great thing about it has been that it's combined a lot of different journalistic disciplines news reporting and enterprise reporting, but also feature writing and, and news writing and, and first person column writing and editorial writing. So it's like this stew of, of different journalistic approaches. Right. And, you know, I'm able to put that all together, uh, both the first person writing and the reporting to sort of have a conversation each week. But it's become like a reflection of my interests as well. So although there are these very meaty topics like healthcare and the environment, I also delve into sort of whatever I'm interested in and exploring. Right. The time. Well, that's that's a good thing because that's you know that brings out what you feel. The the report on on Optum. Uh, I mean, I had tried to make an appointment for some some to see a doctor there myself, and they gave me a date that was a year, a year, an entire year. Oh, they got away. you that quickly. That's pretty good. Only I mean. I was dumbfounded. I don't really use them because of I heard crazy things about it. But I I I just said there's no way and don't ever give me a recommendation. And I feel bad because the doctors are leaving in droves now and and uh, people don't, you know, this community of, of northern Westchester which it mostly, you know, supplies medical care to uh and people just are not sitting still i mean how do you you don't know what to do and your reporting brought out a lot and gave a lot of great information to the public about what's happening but where this all goes is going to be a whole other you know issue there's there's so much involved at this point and it's uh an insurance company basically taking over there's there's the conflict right there because optum's part of united healthcare that's so, right yeah so that's employs 10 percent roughly of u.s doctors um so it's it's, it's truly mind-boggling it's mind-boggling so that that was a huge story i know you also covered um and the paper was in the paper about uh this environmental issue involving granite point project which is in uh somers and uh what, what i had in all of this was the question that you know policymakers need to ask in general is whether our local world is better off with or without these luxury homes that they wanted to build on this beautiful area and pointing the water. And there was a, a, a there was this lead in it from a gun, you know, uh, air. I mean, there was, there's so much involved. I mean, people look it up and, 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 and see what, what's going on. It's just another conservation dilemma involving land, water, community, developers versus, you know, the community and and all sorts of agencies involved. It just it just spirals, just like the the healthcare issue. Um, but, you know, so people can get information, a lot of information about that by by can they go back and check previous stories? Yeah. If they want yeah, to look at it, how do they do that? Yeah, I think you asked before about our digital edition. Right, right. Yeah. But how do you yeah, how how would I go back and check right. that story? Right. So so our website is theexaminernews.com. Okay. The, the examinernews.com. And it's pretty well organized site. 
Um, so you could go to diff different categories and sections, but at the same time, even if you're having trouble navigating it through our menus, it has a good search engine within the site. So if there's a keyword like granite point, um, you could search that way. Um, but you know, if anybody's interested in my column in particular, uh, which is called stone's throw, it's under our opinion section and it categorizes them by date it comes out every week and people could search that way but the yeah. site is pretty it's a wordpress site and it's pretty well organized yeah. good good so people anyone can get information and go go back to to check things out uh i just want want to personally thank you because i'm I, I work with uh friends of button hook forest and you have put out great information for us about trying to save this this forest in newcastle uh, that has uh, it's it's an amazing environmental property. Uh, it's it's actually magical. You should come for a tour. Uh, Martin Wilbur did some great reporting for us. Uh, it it has it's it's a carbon sink. It's a watershed area, and it contains you know sacred ceremonial Native American stones, which is incredible. And uh, I just thank the paper for for you know helping us get the word out about it to get. You know, people aware about it. People, yeah. people, yeah. And people Martin's don't know. at some of these meetings covering an issue like buttonhook. The, the crazy thing is that he's often the only reporter at these meetings, whether it's, uh, you know, Chappaqua Schools, Mount Kisco Village Board, Pleasantville Board of Ed. Like, he's often the only person, only reporter there. And mm -hmm. there's plenty of stories he writes, reports right. out. And um, Rick Pizzullo in Northern Westchester and Abby Luby, that they're the, if they don't cover a certain pretty important story, it just doesn't get covered at all in any yeah. any independent kind of way. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that goes to the outsized responsibility we, I was talking about. Right. We have to thank thank the reporters and the journalists for for you know being persistent and getting the information and knowledge out to people because otherwise we really wouldn't know. So um, in terms of stories. Do you have a favorite one? I know, uh, of course, the one that we highlighted that the Times had picked out. Uh, can you give us a background on that story and what that was about? Oh, the, the so the New York Times, they flagged a series I did on a program called Access VR, which is a program designed to help people with disabilities secure jobs and then also nurture and develop careers and the new york state program is fraught with all sorts of inefficiencies and it is uh it's run through the state education department actually really um, hmm. yeah which is sort of strange and it is massively um underserviced in terms of having sufficient volume of counselors so, you know, people call up with concerns, they don't get their phone calls uh, returned and a whole variety of systemic issues um, that this series went into. It was a series about issues impacting local people with disabilities, but uh, I think three of those articles focused on the concerns with uh, Access VR in particular. Right. There's there's a lot of... of information uh, within the context of those articles. And I know you had a personal connection in a way to that story. And uh, so I guess that something that's closer to home 
you know, as That's a reporter right. brings brings it out. It's uh totally. And know. what's great about the first person column format for me in a way that I didn't experience when I was a beat reporter, let's say, is it allows me to weave in those personal references. So for example, like you mentioned with Access VR, my nephew has developmental disabilities and I was familiar with some of the concerns about the program through my sister um, mm -hmm. that wasn't my only connection to the story but was one of it and I'm able to mention that in pieces and if it enhances it actually expand on that so one big thing that I believe in is transparency around those issues and I think it's nothing not only to run away from I think it's something to embrace and it enhances your journalism when you're especially with this kind of format of a first person reporting based opinion column when you mm -hmm. could weave in personal anecdotes to amplify your journalism and i'm i also love just super straightforward news reports and i think they both have a great uh uh you know service uh but it's been very liberating to have that type of platform with the column Right, it's like right with you know, like my my brother um, would tell my son, you know, that he wrote music and my son wrote music, and he would like any tips, you know, in writing and general, even in general, is write what you know, write what you experience, because if you write something else that you're just complete, I mean, you could make stuff up, but mm -hmm. it really resonates when you write you know, what you know and what you feel. So that okay. that's so important. So we're about to wrap up. You have any any last words or comments about, you know, local journalism and uh, any final words? I think that it's really important that, you know, just like people talk about, you know, shop local, right? And mm -hmm. the importance of shop local because that's how you fortify your community. The same goes for local journalism and that, uh, you know, we're going to be, when I say we, I don't just mean us, I mean newspapers across the country, that we could be as strong as the support that exists within our communities. Um, so whether that's subscriptions or supporting newspapers with membership or advertising, um, that's that's the way we generate revenue to then, you know, pay reporters to produce high quality journalism. So uh, for people out there who care about local news, uh, wherever they might be listening, you know, support your local local newspaper so they could go out and do this kind of uh, high quality reporting. OK. And once again, what's your web website? Uh, TheExaminerNews.com. That's TheExaminerNews.com. And then if anybody is interested, we have uh, a, both a free newsletter option where that we send to people. Um, and then there's also a paid membership option if mm -hmm. anybody's interested in supporting the cause that way. And we have, uh, you know, different tiered newsletters uh, and and sort of, uh, you know, uh, different bonus content that we give to paid members, that kind of thing. Cool. All right. Well, support local news because local is national, is global, is universal, and it is just 
literally crucial to keeping our democracy, which is very fragile right now, <laughs> going going strong. So I, I thank you so much for what you do, and, and then you got the paper going, and all the reporters. Uh, we really appreciate all the hard work you've done, and we'd love to have you come back on at some point again this thank year. Thank you, Maxine. I love year. it. I really appreciate it. This has been so, a lot of fun. Thank so, you so much. So, so thanks for coming on, and uh, thanks for joining us for the Many Shades of Green. For more info and shows, go to HudsonRiverRadio.com, MalcolmPresents.com, and TheManyShadesOfGreen.com. Tweet us your thoughts at TM Shades of Green and. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and threads now. I'm sort of not on, I'm on X, but not really. And I, I don't know. Uh, subscribe to our podcast and all major podcast platforms. A shout out to Neil back there on Studio N, to Brian and Malcolm for their help. Always remember to pick a shade of green and raise your eco-consciousness. I'm Maxine Margot Rubin, and please join us again next time. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com.